Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Amen. Good morning. And welcome to Advent season. And what a powerful morning already. I feel as if we could let out early and uh, just go home because we've already heard the gospel message so powerfully spoken through the songs and through the words and through the testimony of the ladies and uh, through Nicole's testimony. We are so blessed. Um, but I like to talk. And um, <laughs> we've had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. Dawn's parents are with us this week, and we've had a fun time visiting together. And um, Dawn's dad and I were having a conversation yesterday, and he said, how long is your sermon going to be? And I said, well, how long do you think it should be? And he said, 20 minutes. So I brought my phone up. Through, I'm not checking texts. I'm going to set my phone for 20 minutes. Halfway through, I'll set it for 20 minutes again. So, <laughs> so but uh, John 3, 16 and 17, I love, I love that passage. And sometimes I think if that was the only passage in the Bible a person knew, there they have it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. So during this Advent season, uh, we as an elder team are going to walk through the book of Malachi. And we're going to be talking about that. You may wonder, why Malachi? Why Advent Malachi? And we think Malachi actually is a perfect book for Advent. It's the last book of the Old Testament. The last book before 400 years of silence, before an angel would appear to a, a young virgin girl and say, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. And so we think it's a very, very appropriate book. And we're excited to walk through it with you. So at Advent, we're coming and anticipating the Son of God coming into the world. And for us, there's 29 days, I believe, till December 25th. It's the coming of Jesus, the one who the Father gave as the perfect sacrifice for our sin and who brings eternal life to all who believe in him. And we need to remember that that precious baby in the manger came to die for each one of us. Now, the children at Advent time are very excited. Of course, we're all excited. We look forward to the presents around the tree, tearing open those presents in a matter of seconds, and then playing to their heart's content. And these are fun things. They're really fun things. And we all have different traditions, maybe in our families, that have become part of our lives that we like to partake in at Christmas time. You may think of some of your own, putting up the tree, baking, and eating cookies. I do better at the eating part, as I'm sure most of us men in this room do. Uh, but one thing that we've begun to do as a family, we've done it about three or four years in a row now, is we like to take a drive down to Waterman and take a ride on the Christmas train. Anybody else done that before? We love the Christmas train, it's awesome. It's a miniature train at the park in Waterman, and they have these beautiful Christmas lights, and they take you around, and it's really fun. They have uh, popcorn and hot chocolate and coffee there, and it's all free. They ask for a donation, but it's just really fun. And if it's a cold night, they've got blankets there. It is really, really fun. Well, a couple of years ago, we went down, and on the way home, we we're engulfed in one of the worst fogs we have ever seen, that I've ever driven in. 
In fact, I would choose a snowstorm or a thunderstorm over that fog any day to drive in. It was one of the most intense 30 to 45 minutes drives that I have ever experienced. And it wasn't until we reached the southern part of DeKalb where the lights were that came out of the fog and we were able to finally see and take a deep breath. And we prayed the entire ride home and we gave thanks to God and we finally reached safety. But as we came through the fog to the dawning of the lights of DeKalb, and I think that's a neat illustration to think about. As we're going to look at Malachi chapter 1 today, there's some really interesting things that are said here. <clears throat> um, but it, it's going to talk about Israel, and they're in a fog about God's love. And oftentimes in life, we can feel like we're walking around in a fog. I don't know if you ever felt that way. You have circumstances that are beyond your control. Maybe even today, you've got something on your mind right now, and it's really hard to not get your mind off of it. And it's tearing you down mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And the holidays have a way of magnifying those emotions. As we think about times in the past where maybe things were a lot more simple. Maybe we think about loved ones we've spent Christmas with in the past and they're no longer around the table with us for whatever reason. Maybe they've passed away or, or they've moved on to another phase of their lives. And we don't get to see them as often as we do. And that can bring on these, these feelings of melancholy. And those are normal feelings, and we miss them. But life can really weigh us down at times to the point that we even question if God loves us. Or we may think, God, if you love me, why in the world is this circumstance going on in my life? And we can get to a point where we feel burdened by life, and we don't even know how to love God and others as we should. And that can lead us to just want to give up. How do we navigate through this fog in life, and how do we come to the dawning, this is what we are entitling this series, the dawning, where we can experience the love of God, and we can love him in return, and be vessels of love to the world that so desperately needs him? Well, I believe, and we believe as an elder team, that the book of Malachi sheds tremendous light on this for us. Through seeing the struggle of God's people, Israel, at the time of this letter, we can gain a better understanding of our own hearts and by faith move from the dense fog that surrounds us to the dawning of the light of the love of God found only in Jesus Christ. And my desire today for us is during this Advent season is that as individuals but as a body of Christ, we should know in a deeper way the love of Christ and how we might by faith, excel still more in our love for him, each other, and the people that God has placed in our lives. A bit of background on this book before we dive into it. Malachi simply means my messenger. It was probably, he was probably a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. He was ministering sometime in the mid-5th century B.C. before Ezra's reforms or Nehemiah's rebuilding of the Jerusalem walls. After the return of a portion of the Israelites from exile, the nation faced the political hardships of foreign occupation and the economic difficulties that accompanied it, what Douglas Stewart describes as taxes, tolls, and annual tributes. But for Malachi and the prophetic stream in general, these were mere symptoms of much more significant spiritual sickness. While awaiting the coming of their king, God's people had given up hope in God's promises and turned from a life of faith to one marked by faithlessness. 
Malachi's prophetic ministry was one in which he called the Israelites back to the promises upon which their relationship with God was originally founded. He called his people to again look forward to the dawn of God's new day and to live therefore in light of it. For those who don't, that day will be a day of reckoning, but for those who do, it will be something far better. For our Advent series, the book of Malachi provides us with the last prophetic word that reverberated over the 400-year period of prophetic silence that was answered finally when God answered it definitively with the sending of his son. And in this way, Malachi displays our deep need for that coming of Christ because of all the ways that we've all fallen short in our relationship with God. But Malachi also calls us to faith and faithfulness once again because after all, this side of the cross, we have known God's love all the more more. So let's look at Malachi chapter 1 together, and there's three different outline headings um, that I would like to place it under. Verses 1 through 5, Israel's fog about God's love. Verses 6 to 14, Israel's fog about loving God and others. And finally, the dawning. Let's pray before we read God's word. Father, we thank you and praise you. Lord, we thank you for the dawning of your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, that you loved us so much that you gave your one and only Son to die on a cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and that you raised him from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and we await now the dawning of that day that he returns. Would you bless the reading of your word today to our hearts May we know in a deeper way how much you truly love us. May that transform our hearts to love you even more and to love those around us that you placed in our paths. And may we have a desire to take this message of this truth to the nations that they might believe and that Jesus might come again and we might see him face to face. In his name we pray, amen. The Oracle of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show a favor to you, any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. 
I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its fruit may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And you, this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now you could look at that and say, that is a really odd verse for Advent, an odd passage. But there's so much there. And God is speaking to Israel here about his love for them. And right off the bat, he tells Israel, I love you. But how do they respond? How have you loved us? And I think each of us have probably been in that point in our lives where we don't feel the love of God or we wonder again, as I said before, what, why is this certain situation going on? But God loved Jacob. And I, he's, but what he says can make us take a step back. He says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And on an individual basis, these two men, Jacob and Esau, were both men with serious flaws, but Jacob was a man of faith, and Esau was a man who sold his very birthright for a bowl of soup. He was a man who rejected God and his love in his life. And Jacob, with all his faults, was a man who embraced God by faith, and he leaned into God and not away from him. But he's not just talking about Jacob and Esau, the individuals here. He's talking about nations. Jacob gave birth to the nation of Israel. In fact, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Esau, his brother, gave birth to the nation of Edom. And Edom, as a nation, was a very wicked nation. They repeatedly rejected God's blessing in their lives by being severe antagonists to Israel and sought to destroy them. There are several passages throughout the Old Testament that speak to this. Numbers 24, when they refused to let Israel pass through their land after Israel had come out of Egypt. Obadiah is another example when it was apparent that they took part in Israel's destruction when they were sent into captivity. But the bigger storyline here is that Jacob's father was Isaac, and Isaac's father was Abraham, and it is through Abraham that God says in Genesis 12:3, in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. The Apostle Paul would say in Galatians 3, 7 to 14, that when God said that to Abraham, he was preaching the gospel to him. He was saying that it, through Abraham's seed, the Messiah is going to come. And this is the person of Jesus Christ. And everyone who believes in this person, for those who lived in the Old Testament, they believed, those who believed that Messiah was coming, for those who believe since the dawning of Jesus Christ, looking back, the blessing of Abraham comes to those of us who believe that he is, in fact, the Son of God and the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we are promised an eternal life and inheritance in the new world to come. Amen? Isn't that awesome news? 
So even those who descended from Esau can be blessed if they will embrace this person by faith. But notice here in verse 5 where he says, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. And from the time of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden, God promised to send the Messiah to rescue man from his sin. So it was through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now Israel, that Messiah was to come and did in fact come. So it's as if God is saying, you know what, Israel, look around you. It is through you that I'm working out my salvation plan for the whole world. Edom, you look around Edom, it's in ruins. But I have brought you out of captivity. I have put you back in your land. And we are, we've rebuilt the temple. We are now offering sacrifices for sin again. Look at the people around you. So remember, I love you and I am proving it because I am sending Messiah through you. And look what I've done. This is the love of God. That though we are sinners and deserving of punishment, God has sent his son Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to rise again, and through him to give us eternal life by faith in him. Israel was blessed to be the family line for Messiah, but they didn't understand it. They were in a fog. They, they were in a fog about the love of God. They didn't understand the bigger plan. And though they knew Messiah was to come, they didn't understand how God was working it out in their life, in their time. All they could see was their circumstances. They were nearsighted and farsighted, really, because they couldn't see the big picture of Messiah coming through them, but they also couldn't see right in front of them that God had just brought them back from captivity. Seventy years, God had said, this is how long you're going to be in captivity. I'm going to bring you back. He's now done that. They're back in captivity They're able to offer sacrifices again. They look around them, and they are, compared to Edom, they are very blessed. They were being rebuilt while Edom was in shambles. Look around you, Israel. Can't you see how I love you? And how about us? We all can get into the same situation. We get these circumstances that really can weigh us down, and we cannot figure them out. We're in a fog about them, and we say, God, how in the world are you working in this situation? But we can come back and say, you know what? Even if I never understand this, if I know Jesus, then I know that God loves me. And this side of heaven, I may not understand it, but I am guaranteed an inheritance in heaven. And one day, whatever this thing is, I'm going to understand it. And it's going to make sense. But a major part of who Messiah was to be and what he was supposed to do, they completely were in a fog about. And that is that the Messiah himself would be the sacrifice to remove all sin from his people and to restore them to a right relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. He made them in his image. It was good. They were without sin. God said, be fruitful and multiply, bear more image bearers. And he said, all of this is yours. You are blessed. You can eat from any tree of the garden. It's all yours except for this one tree. One thing you can't do, and that's to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of submitting under God's authority, they said, God, we know better than you do. We're going to eat from that tree. And that's the first sin. Sin entered the world. And God said, the day that you do it, death will also enter the world. You will die. 
and death entered that world. And we look around us and we see the death around us and we can look back to the Garden of Eden and know that that's why there's death in this world. Death physically, but death spiritually, man's relationship. God made man and woman to have a relationship with God and with each other, to love him, to experience his love, to love each other, and to love everyone else. And that sin broke that relationship, broke all the relationships. And now death has entered into that. And the promise that God made immediately is, I'm going to fix this. And before God ever created anything, he had already determined how he was going to do it. And he promised to send a rescuer, a Messiah. And the Old Testament paints the picture of who that would be. And we know that it is Jesus. Jesus, the only one, the Son of God, all God, all man, who never once sinned, came into the world, preached the kingdom of God, and then died in my place and in your place, and in the place of every person in the nations that will embrace him by faith as the only sacrifice for their sins. Now, in the Old Testament, God set up a sacrificial system that the priests of Israel were to go into the temple and offer a sacrifice for sin. But Israel was in a fog about this. They'd forgotten what the true meaning of this was. And God confronts them and says, you have despised my name. And they say, how have we despised your name? The priests were called to represent the people to God and God to the people. And this is done as they offered the sacrifices for sin. The sacrifice tells the people that, yes, you are sinners. You have fallen short of God's glory. Your relationship is broken with him. But he has made a way for you to be forgiven. And it's through that sacrifice. So the priest offered the sacrifice. said, people, this is the sacrifice by which we can by faith approach God. These sacrifices were meant to point ultimately to the sacrifice that God promised was coming, who was the Son of God, the suffering Messiah. The priest intercedes for the people before God, says, God, we are sinners, the people are sinners, but look at your sacrifice. You said this atones for our sins, and we intercede for the people on behalf of the people. We point to this sacrifice that you said takes away our sins. And now that Jesus has come, we say, God, you placed all of our sins on Jesus. He is the sacrifice. He is the way we approach you, and by faith we embrace him. This sacrifice of the Old Testament was to be unblemished. It was to be holy, and this was to represent the perfect spotless Lamb of God that was to come. And not only were they not offering the spotless sacrifice, they were offering to God the seconds and keeping the best for themselves. And we see that in verses 6 to 14. Now, not to make light of this, but for an illustration, at Thanksgiving dinner, somebody in our family asked if I would carve the turkey, which probably wasn't a great idea because I would carve a piece and test it, carve it and test it. <laughs> but I, I lifted up the turkey and I looked at the, the back side of the turkey. You know, the back, it just doesn't have very much meat on it. You could probably pick a few pieces off, but the good stuff is on the front. But imagine if I had picked up the back and cut off pieces and put it on a plate for the family, and then I cut off all the white breast meat and put it away for myself. 
That's what they were doing. They were keeping the good stuff and they were offering to God blemished sacrifices. And then they say, what a weariness this is. Oh God, how can we keep doing this? This is such a drag. Religious activity with a heart centered on God by faith and his provision for sin becomes dreary and drudgery. In verse 10, God calls for someone to put an end to this nonsense. He says, please, someone, shut the door on the altar and stop it. They were doing what the Lord said through Isaiah. This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They weren't loving God, and they weren't loving others, because in their disrespect of the sacrifice... They were not showing love to the people, and they were not showing love to God, obviously. The priests were not showing the people that the way to God was through faith in him and his sacrificial provision. And God always meant for his blessing through Abraham to be shared with the nations. There's another quote in Scripture that says, My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. So God never meant for Israel to keep this to themselves. Yes, God chose Israel specifically and out of love to bring the Messiah, but he didn't mean for them to keep it just to Israel. He meant for them to share it with the world. God's plan to rescue the world was through the coming of the Messiah through the nation of Israel. And we see that throughout the whole Bible. And if you did a word study on the word nations in the Old Testament, you'll see it all over the place. Here's just one passage. Psalm 67, 1 and 2 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So there it is in their very words, in the very scripture. And then notice again right here in this passage, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. A pure offering, that is Christ. God is a great king and the Lord of hosts, and his name will be feared among the nations. The world needs to know that God is holy and he loves them. But sin separates man from God. Through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, sin is atoned for. The temple sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Israel was in a fog about this, and they were abusing it over and over again. The dawning. So how do we come through that fog? Well, later in the book of Malachi, we'll see the dawning begin to unfold more and more as Malachi prophesies about two coming messengers. One would prepare the way for the Lord himself to come, and one would be the Lord himself. The New Testament identifies the first as John the Baptist. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, speaking of Jesus, he says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Speaking of John the Baptist, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. But of Jesus it is written, The true light 
which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. Jesus, the coming of Jesus is the dawning of God's love. Later in chapter 1 of Gospel of John, John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points to the sacrifice. He says, He is the one. And there it is. God's love manifested in the perfect sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. And as sinful human beings, our lives apart from God are in a fog. Only by turning from our sin and embracing by faith the Lord Jesus Christ will the fog clear and the dawning appear. Only by the grace of God through the person of the Holy Spirit as he enlightens us to this. And even as the people of the Old Testament waited for the dawning of the first coming of Jesus, even now we await his second coming. He has come and he said he's coming again. And so we're in this unique place in history. And we don't know, is it going to be another 400 years? Is it going to be today? We don't know. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we think sometimes of the priest of being just a certain number of people, certain special people. But the New Testament says that every believer in Jesus Christ is a priest. Every believer in Jesus Christ is someone who represents people to God and God to the people through prayer through witnessing to the perfect sacrifice. But listen to Revelation 1, 5 and 6. It says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. That's all of us. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. As believers in Jesus, we're all priests, each and every one of us. And we are to represent the people to God and God to the people by pointing them to Jesus. And we are to do this until the day the skies open and we see him face to face. So how can we do that? How, as a body at KBC, can we do that? Especially at Advent season, it's such a neat time of year. How can we do that? Just a few practical points. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ alone for your salvation, then let the dawning of his love for you replace that fog in your life. Embrace him by faith today. Believer in Jesus, Advent time can get really busy. There's lots of things that we need to do, shopping and just work doesn't stop and just things go on and we can get busy. But try during this Advent season to just take some time away, just yourself and the Lord. Daily remind yourself of the love of God for you and Jesus. Think not just about that baby in the manger, but let your mind go forward 33 years from the time he was born to the day he was hanging on the cross. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever question God's love for you, make yourself go to the cross and think about that. And we should do that daily. The cross tells us that yes, we are sinners. Yes, things are bad. But yet we are loved by God and he's made provision for us for eternity. 
One thing you could do, these are just suggestions. Uh, you could take one of the Gospels and read one chapter a day, just prayerfully read through it. If you did Matthew, you could start tomorrow and have 28 days leading up to December 24th. Mark, six, Mark has 16 chapters, Luke has 24, John has 21. You could pick any of them. It all tells the same story about Jesus. But we're not meant to keep this to ourselves. Let's make Advent about Jesus amongst each other in our households. How can we do that? Advent time is a, a time where we can maybe take five or ten minutes out as a family and just say, let's just sit on the couch and let's just read a Christmas story. We've uh, had different ways that we've done this in our family. Last year, I believe it was, Dawn wrapped up 24 different children's Christmas books. I can't remember where we got that idea from, but usually borrowing ideas and that. But, and then each day, one of the kids got to pick one of those books, and then we would read that Christmas story, and then we would sing a couple Christmas carols together and then pray together. Just simple, five, ten minutes. And the kids really look forward to it. But amongst each other, let's talk about Jesus. Let's just, I know we do, but let's just really be thinking about pointing ourselves to him. Um, let's be thinking, we, as we heard the testimonies about Nicole and the books, let's, let's really be on top of that and really reach out to her during this time. Another opportunity is we've talked about uh, Christmas cards for Milan and Zenka, our, our missionaries uh, in the Czech Republic, and Amanda Pearson's going to be in the back with uh, Christmas cards uh, addressed, correct, to send to them. Um, Pick one up and let's send one to them. Just let them know we're thinking about them. But let's more and more pray fervently for each other. You know, bring, bring the sacrifice of Christ. Come to the throne of grace for each other and say, you know what? You know, uh, so-and-so is going through a hard time, but God, you love them and you've proven it to them. May they know that. And just then look for opportunities in our sphere of influence to talk about Jesus and show his love. It's, it's not real hard at Christmas time because people are thinking about it. Even in the stores, Christmas music is playing and, and easy conversations can come up. But what are you doing for Christmas? And it's easy to talk about it. So the more we're thinking about them individually, though, the more we'll see those opportunities in our community to do it together. So let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for you. Uh, Lord, we confess the fog in our own minds and hearts. And um, oftentimes we can be overcome with our circumstances, Lord, and it's hard for us to even look up. God, help us to not question your love. You have proven yourself over and over and over again to us. Most of all, you've proven it through the dawning of Jesus and the love that comes through him. For God so loved the world. God, you so loved us that you gave your only son that whoever whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God, you love us. Help us to remember that. Help us at this Advent season to remember that. Help us to tell each other that, remind each other that. And would you bring special opportunities for us and all of us in our sphere of influence throughout this month to be able to do that. All for your glory, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you 
for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.